Even if you look at somebody like Warren Buffett, at one of the Berkshire Hathaway meetings, he was asked if you had 10,000 to your name and you were a you know, younger person, what would you do with this money? And he said, I would go and look at in obscure places like microcap space because the probability of mispricing is the highest. The financial industry is not set up to take advantage of those opportunities. Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. All right, welcome to the show, Marios. You are a microcap kind of guy, and then you also do some real estate investing based on what I could find about you. So to start with, what is your definition of microcap companies? Well, uh, so businesses just like real estate, they have equity or debt, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or mortgage. Uh, so when you have businesses that are trading on the stock market, uh, it's the equity that's trading. Uh, and if the equity between all the shares that are out there and the price per share, if the equity is below like $100 million, that's considered a micro cap. Different people have different definitions, but you know that, that that's a safe way to say it. Below $100 million, it's it, it's not even a small cap. It's, it's, it's micro cap. Okay, and it's the equity amount that's below 100 yeah 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 which is called the market cap yep gotcha why do you think people are not that positive about these companies what do you think are some of the common misconceptions associated with micro cap companies well the the industry the financial industry is not set up to be able to invest in those companies if you if you think about the hedge funds or financial advisors what the business are they in? They are in the business of acquiring assets under management. As many clients as possible, and, and then they try to put those clients into certain investments. If they're managing billions of dollars, they, they have to look for big, big, big companies. They have to look for the Microsofts, for the Teslas, to be able to fit all of their clients in. Um, they're not gonna go and look for the small names because they would have to have too many of them. Just think about if you have a um, $10 million, you can take $10 million and buy one apartment building. How many single family homes would you have to buy to fill $10 million, right? It, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. That's why, that's why usually individuals are more suited for single family home investments and, and, and funds or syndications are more suited for apartments or office buildings or things like that. The same thing with, with stocks. It, it, institutions are not set up, they're too big. They're too big to take advantage of the uh, small companies. But individuals, because individuals have you know smaller amounts of money that they're working with, they can uh, take advantage of those opportunities. Even if you look at somebody like Warren Buffett, uh, at one of the meetings, uh, Berkshire Hathaway meetings, he was asked if you had 10,000 to your name and you were, uh, you know, younger person, what would you do with this money? And he said, I would go and look at in obscure places like microcap space because the probability of mispricing is the highest. And then the, uh, the financial industry is not set up to take advantage of those opportunities. But now because he's so big with his company, he, he cannot go uh, into space like this. He has to stick with the big names, which can only offer you know just average average returns they're not as they're not as risky they're not as volatile but they're also not really life-changing returns yep 
Makes sense. I was just going to go there, Warren Buffett. I think I've heard that response from him many times too. And um, I think there's also a regulation requirement, which you mentioned, if you acquire a certain percentage of a publicly traded company, you have to satisfy all these requirements, which is a burden for large funds, right? So that's why they're not going after those, but it creates potentially a very good opportunity for smaller individual investors. And, and, and even even the brokerage companies don't want don't want people that trade microcap stocks. For example, right now I'm dealing with interactive brokers that wants to throw me out. They want to close my account. No reason other than you you have too many microcaps in your portfolio and we don't want to deal with people like this. So it's just the industry is against it. The brokerages are against it. Um, you know, the industry has a bad, bad rap for, for a good reason, because I would say 80 to 90% of the companies that are microcap are trash and you shouldn't touch them. But just overall, it's like most people don't know about it. The industry hates it. The financial industry is not set up for it. Brokerages don't want you. It limits the number of people that are in this space. And anytime you have that, you, you know, you have less competition. Yeah. You know, so if you're the kind of person that wants to roll up your sleeves and, and go to work and have stomach for, you know, huge volatility, uh, you know, you might discover some things that can really change your life. Yeah. So how do you screen these companies and how do you value them? Well, I mean, look, the best way to screen them is just to look at every company on the exchange. So like, for example, uh, there's only 700 or 800 companies on Canadian Stock Exchange. There's like 3,000, I think, on Toronto Stock Exchange Venture. You, you can look at every one of them and mo most of them are trash. Like most of them have no business, no revenues. They're looking for gold or silver or, or have, you know, claim that they have cure for cancer. Like, I mean, those kinds of companies you can eliminate very quickly and then just look at the ones that are real, that have real revenues, something real to them. It's not that many of them out there. And then, so, and then also, you know, once you're in that space, you build uh, connections with other people and you might get recommendations. Hey, you should, you should look at this one. You should look at that one. And, uh, you know, you kind of might get exposed to certain situations that are, that you would never, you know, if you looked at this company just uh, yourself, you might overlook it. But if somebody is already in it and gives you the 30 second elevator pitch, it, you know, and you trust that person, then you, you might have a second look at it. And that's actually what happened to, to one of the companies that I'm involved with. It's called Aduro, where what they have is, uh, uh, we all know that we have a plastic problem in the world. Uh, you know, recycling plastic is piling up in the oceans and things like that. And most people think that when they put plastic in the uh, green recycling, it actually gets recycled. Well, not really. Only maybe if you start reading on the subject, only maybe 6% uh, gets recycled. And that's because there is no technology right now that takes plastic and actually chemically uh, you know, decomposes it uh, until a company like Aduro, they have a water proven technology where you can take plastic and you can uh, uh, tear it down into the molecules that it came from and you can make plastic again from it or you can make fuel out of it because, you know, petroleum products are used to make plastic. Uh, and at first, when I looked at this company, 
I was for, for about three weeks. I was like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not interested. Everybody has a cure for cancer, and there's just a bunch of promises that never come true. But after three weeks of studying it, visiting it, talking to the management, and seeing, being in a room with five PhDs working on this, I realized, wow, this is something for real. This is something real. They truly have this technology, and they signed a deal with Shell, the Shell that you know we all know and pump gas with. Um, and Shell is uh, going through like a, a six-step process with with them. Uh, they completed already three three steps. And uh, uh, so, if if a company like Shell is working with them uh, and doing their due diligence, it, it just shows you that there's something really behind it. Uh, but it's an example of a company that not too many people are aware of, and uh, it, it, this company solves a major problem that we are all, all aware of, and when their technology gets uh, adopted into using it to recycle plastic, whoever is the owner of the stock is just going to make absolute crazy money on this. Yeah, that's great. Have you used the magic formula of investing by Joel Greenblatt. Joel Greenblatt, yeah. Um, I mean, I've read, I've read his books. Uh, I, I'm aware of it. Um, I, I used it before just to kind of um, get screened through some companies. But then from that list, I still wanted to make sure that I, you know, study those companies on my own and not let, you know, just a bunch of formula decide what I uh, invest in. But I don't really like to screen. Uh, I, I just like to look at, I mean, it's kind of like screening is kind of like, you know, you're trying to go and find a husband or a wife or, you know, I, I want blue eyes, you know, long hair, you know, petite, blah, blah, blah. Well, how about just talk to every person and not have those blocks? Uh, because just because the person doesn't have blue eyes doesn't mean it's not the right match, you know? And that's how I feel with these screens. Or it has to have this, this or that. No, I want to have open mind. I want to look at everyone. Tell me what your story is. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to solve? And give it all to me. And if I like it, then I like it. Gotcha. So, I mean, the reason I brought it up was because you mentioned that, to your point, right, a lot of companies don't have even revenue or any sort of yeah. meaningful yeah. financials. Yeah. I think at least his tool kind of do the first pass of screening out yeah because because when you have a company that has financials what what they've proven is that somebody is willing to pay for the their solution right and that's most of the time i do want companies that have uh, that have revenues uh, because because of their reason but sometimes sometimes if you study the solution if you study the technology sometimes you can realize that th there is the solution is for real and the revenues will follow but it takes more work uh, to make sure that that's going to happen. Because if the revenues don't follow, well, you're going to lose some serious money on it. Yep. So would you consider yourself a value investor? Yeah. Yeah, but value but value is, it can be calculated in so many different ways. You can look at it and look at it and say, well, how, how much does it trade in relation to revenues or, or free cash flow or net profit? Um, that's one way. Uh, how does it relate to book value or or you know what is it going to be what are the revenues or profits going to be in five years so even if today there might be unprofitable if the 
if they're going to be profitable in five years, what is it going to be? And what is the valuation going to look like then? That's one way of looking at it. Another way is maybe maybe this is not a, um, uh, a you know profit uh, or cash flow opportunity. Maybe it's an asset play. And I hate to look, use the word play because people think stock market is some kind of a computer game. But you know, I am involved in a company that it's an asset opportunity where they have a, a copper copper project in Mexico and it's about how much copper they have in the ground um, what grade of copper they have in the ground and what is that project going to generate in and profits for somebody who else who's going to buy it and put it in production so net present value uh and then what is somebody going to pay what percentage of net present value but this entity in itself is never going to have revenues because they're never going to put this project into production because it's too big it, it's it, it's billions of dollars but they they are they have an asset and then it's like they're doing an appraisal on that asset and then then they sell this to somebody else uh, so that's that's also value just because there's no revenues you know just like when you're selling a car well your Honda Civic doesn't generate any cash flow but doesn't mean you can't sell it yeah I'm only recently started to learn kind of the whole category of value investing right starting from the very classics like um, intelligent investor. And then I've listened to and read a lot of what Warren Buffett has said or written. And I know that he has evolved a lot over time. And even, you know, for him, it was a major shift from looking at just very simple financial metrics to really looking forward in the future and see what, you know, this company has potentially down the road to make his assessment. So I'm trying to learn the different I guess, subcategories of value investing, but it's the first time I've heard um, what you were saying is it's also not only purely about what this company itself can generate. And, you know, we can look at their asset and what they can sell that asset for, which is very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you learn about a company? What is your typical way of looking at it? Like you said, right, it's like assessing a potential spouse, right? You want to hear their story. But what do you do exactly? Like, do you actually talk to the people that run the company or do you just read up everything about the company? How do you usually do that? Um, all of the above. I, I do read up what's available, mm -hmm. but that's not enough uh, with these smaller names. It's just not enough. And also what what is available publicly, a lot of times it's written by lawyers and you, you can't even understand half of the stuff that, that they're saying. Uh, so the the nice thing about smaller companies is that uh, the CEOs are available. They will pick up the phone uh, where that's not the case with Apple or Microsoft. So, uh, so you get to learn from them. Uh, you get to learn from the people that are running it, but then you have to be careful because they're all, you know, they're all, not all, but like they're supposed to be salesmen for their own companies. So they're going to tell you, you know, the good stuff, which you want to know. And that's when you also have to go and do some work outside of that. So if, 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 if it's possible, you know, try to see if you can uh, contact their clients, if you can find out who they are and find out from their clients, why are they using this product? Is this product really as special as what the management told you? Um, are there any switching costs, uh, you know, 
just just things like that you can also reach out to maybe former employees or even other investors like talk to them about about their experience the former employees might tell you some things that you know you would never find out if you talk to current employees because current employees are afraid to lose their job right mm -hmm. and former employees might have some dirt that you might want to know and it's not that you're looking for a perfect company because there's no perfect company company like there's no perfect you know spouse but you're trying to find out what it is that you're trying to get yourself into and then if you can live with the flaws you know mm -hmm. um yeah and yeah but but i wouldn't just rely on people want to be lazy and they just want to go on the internet and read stuff i mean i had situations where you know one company one of the employees uh, served some time in prison and that was all over the internet oh you know this this salesman or this person is the brother of the ceo and he was in prison and this is a scam and blah 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 well once you find once you start reading and finding out more about what happened there you realize that well this guy did serve some time in prison but why well because in 2008 there was a financial crisis and he was running a company and he wasn't um uh, he didn't have enough money because like the bank cut off the financing and so he didn't uh send the money uh, for fica for the, for his employees uh to pay taxes and he was like delaying it because his company was going to go out of business well the he got sued for that and ended up in prison so then you're like okay you know he got put he he was in prison for that but like you know does this make him a horrible person like well he kind of didn't have a choice it's either this or his company was going to go under uh but but you don't see that online right they're not going to tell you this you only find out that when you pick up the phone and start talking to the people who who are aware of what happened yeah yeah how long do you do that kind of due diligence usually before i mean it'll, it'll take it'll take a month mm -hmm. but I, that's why i don't i'm not involved with a lot of companies like right now i only have maybe like five in my portfolio and you know maybe have like 20 20 that i'm watching mm -hmm. um because it takes time and then it also takes time to find quality quality companies and then and then and then they take years to develop mm -hmm. uh the one that i told you about the copper project in mexico i got involved with them in 2017 so it's like year number six I visited Mexico four times now, so I'm holding on to it. And I'm not jumping around, um, and 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 that's another thing is that like, uh, you know, people tend to be like, "Well, what's the new idea? Like, well, what's wrong with you? Like, you you don't have enough with the ones we already have. Like, they they take years to play out. If you keep switching your portfolio over and over." just because you found something more interesting well you're never gonna build any wealth because there's something always interesting that stimulates your mind i can find you a new investment idea every two days but what good does it do to jump from one opportunity to another and not letting it come to fruition ever mm -hmm. do you focus on a certain area the reason why i ask that is because I also see a lot of companies that seem to have very huge potential, right? If you think about Nikola or Elizabeth Holmes company, whatever that's called, they had really promising technologies and they had really well-known people backing them up, although they're much larger scale companies. But my point is that 
if you don't know certain industry enough, would you feel comfortable investing in them? Again, I try to I try to stay open minded. I mean, overall, I like to invest in companies that have you know revenues. They have something special about their business. They have high profit margins, big big addressable market, and they have room to grow. But then, like for example, for a long time, I would make fun of uh, cannabis companies. I mean, not too long ago, everybody wanted to be in cannabis. So then I was like, okay, well. In general, those companies are horrible from the point of view of business because uh, there's a lot of them. Like that, you compete with the illegal market. Uh, you know, when it gets legalized, you know, the all the big big companies are going to go into it. So, so it's not a business that like I want to be in. But then I ended up investing in a cannabis company because it was there was something there. Uh, it's a it's a company that is, is from California. They they have their own grow. Uh, but what's special about them is that uh, they asked me to help them finance the the construction of a dispensary. And the dispensary is located in a city that there's only three dispensaries allowed. And then the cities around don't want any dispensaries. And that particular dispensary is on a highway three ninety five that has 200,000 cars going daily. And they're gonna have a drive-through. There's only three drive-throughs in the entire state of California, and that's one of them. So I went there and I looked at it, I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna be a gold mine. But there's something special to it. So there's, there's, you know, there's only three, the city's not gonna allow anymore. Other cities hate cannabis. All these cars driving by, I'm like, okay. So I made an exception exception right because of that but if it was a dispensary in los angeles no because there's another one around the corner like none of them make really serious money because there's too much competition so i try to i try to stay open-minded you know yeah yeah if there's something that catches my attention there's something you know warren buffett always talks about a moat mm -hmm. right like a castle has a moat and it protects from intruders if i feel that there's something special to it then you know i I, you know, I don't want to be too stubborn and let interesting opportunities pass by because of that. Yeah, makes sense. Can we maybe switch gears a little bit and talk about your company, Microcap Explosion, I believe. When did you found the company and what is its um, operating model? So that this was during COVID kind of, I, I was bored. I started making videos on YouTube. And uh, people were kind of like asking if I have a newsletter, and and I had a newsletter before, and I was like, no, I'm not going, I'm not doing this again. Like, I don't want to do this. First of all, if I do this, you're not going to pay two hundred dollars. You're going to pay, you know, at that time it was like fifteen hundred. Uh, that was, I was like, if you don't want to pay this, I'm not doing it. And it's not going to be like a newsletter where I have to come up with X number of ideas per month because it's ridiculous. Like we have ideas and sometimes we just hold on them. So then they were like, okay, we want to, uh, I made a video and I said, uh, you know, I don't really want to do it, but if enough of you want me to start it, I'll do something. So then I put up a video within 20 minutes. I had like 60 people interested. So I'm like, okay, 60 people at, you know, a thousand dollars or 1500. I'm like, okay, I can do that. So, so I started that and so basically, I share I share microcap uh, ideas. 
uh, and people can choose which ones they want to invest in. And also, uh, like I was telling you about the, the cannabis company, what I discovered after I started MicroCap Explosions is that those companies, um, a lot of times they, uh, when you buy a stock in the stock market, you, you, you buy it from another investor. You, you, you pay the money to the investor, they give you the stock. But sometimes these companies, they might not reach profitability yet, or maybe they want to expand or do something and they need to raise money and they can sell shares directly to investors. So I learned that there's a lot of demand for, for people like me that can uh, get people together and help companies raise money for various projects, like with this cannabis company to build, to build the dispensary. Uh, my group, we own about 30% of that company because we financed that. And, you know, the company uh, issued shares to individual members. Um, so, so members, you know, pay me a yearly fee to access these ideas. We do live calls with CEOs, um, updates, and then from time to time, we participate, all of us individually, in, in private placements where we inject capital into these companies to uh, to make them do whatever they want to do. So we kind of, I like to call it, we kind of create our own success by helping the companies, uh, you know, do what they want to do. But in this market, it's kind of, uh, when I say create our own success, because over the last 12 months, I haven't seen much success other than blood. Uh, so it's almost like no matter what our companies do, no matter how much we help them, how, how good they are, we're still down huge amounts of money because nobody wants to invest in anything right now, especially when it's small cap. Uh, the liquidity dried up so much that a lot of them are just selling for a song right now. I forgot to ask you, what was your background before this then, before the uh, micro cap explosion company was created? So I graduated college with finance degree in 2003 and I went into real estate for about, I don't know, six years. I was a real estate appraiser, both commercial and residential. Then I was a broker on the commercial side. And then in 2008, 2009 financial crisis, when that happened, I left the industry and I was focusing fully on the stock market. Got it. So, yeah. That makes sense. So how do you, going back to what you were saying, so how do you kind of, I guess, explain that to your investors and make them feel comfortable? Because I can understand that, like you said, the liquidity situation and just generally the economic condition is not looking great. So um, would the investors be okay with kind of what's happening? Can you talk about that? No, some of them, if I have to explain it to you, mm -hmm. then you're not right for my platform. Okay. I don't want people that don't understand it. I don't want people that I need to teach them. If I have to teach them, you're not right for the platform. But if you, if you understand that this is the time to buy, mm -hmm. that this is the time to plant the seeds, then you're going to do well. But, you know, uh, I would say half of the people are leaving the platform because they don't understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, but then others are staying because they do understand that. So, uh, you know, I'm not there. I'm not there to convince anyone. Um, mm -hmm. If if you, you know, uh, if you don't see that this is an opportunity of a lifetime, 
I'm not here to convince you. Yeah. What's your long-term goal for building this company? Like you said, I do think it's the good time to buy during these downturns. What's your time horizon to see the potential returns being realized? And then what is your long-term plan for your company? I don't really have a long-term plan for the company for microcap explosions because microcap explosions is just it's just a way for me to share share my research in the companies that I invest in. So my long-term goal is to, you know, make serious money on the companies that I invest in. And, you know, microcap explosion is just a way for me to share what I do. Uh, so it's, I make money so that I, I don't have to, it, it's, it's a way for me. I don't have to sell my investments to make a living mm -hmm. and I can keep building uh, my portfolio and whatever extra I have, I buy more. But I don't think of it like, oh, I want microcap explosions to make me $10 million a year. It's like, it doesn't matter. Because if my, if my portfolio is worth 30 million, it doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter if microcap explosions, you know, dies, like who cares? I'm sitting on $30 million, right? Mm -hmm. Then I can take that and buy real estate or whatever. Um, but right now I'm focusing on is, um, you know, when I started, when I left the real estate industry, 2009, I had 10,000 to my name. And it, within 13 years, I turned into 7 million. Last year, I'm down like 5 million. So it's not fun to lose 5 million, I tell you that. Uh, but now I'm looking at the positions that I have. I'm all about how many, right now the focus is, how can I get as many shares as possible in these companies? It's all about the number of shares, because if I'm right on some of the upside, I could be looking at, you know, $50 million, uh, you know, down the road, three, three, four, five years from now. That's what I'm focusing on. Mm -hmm. I sort of hear you referencing real estate from time to time. And then I think I saw that you have some books published and one of them talks about microcap companies. And then in the book, you make an analogy between microcap companies and real estate. Can you talk about your view on real estate? So you left that industry, sounds like, but you still have some real estate portfolio? No, I just have a house. Oh, like I, have I, but it's always in the back of my mind that uh -huh. at some point I would like to own some real estate for cash flow. But it, it's just hard because, uh, because when you look at the opportunity cost or what you can get in the in the space that I that I am operating in, it's it's hard to take my money and buy like oh I'm gonna buy an apartment building or a single family home and generate you know ten percent on my money uh, because it's just hard to do that when I have opportunities that can they can make me, you know, 10, 50 times my money mm -hmm. over time, of course. And, and, and the thing is that what people don't understand about real estate is that in real estate, you can't really get incredible deals. You can get good deals, but not incredible deals because the people that are selling you the real estate are not idiots. Mm -hmm. And people that are selling you stocks can be complete morons and idiots because, because they don't think of themselves as owners. When you buy a piece of real estate from somebody, that person thinks fundamentally, like a value investor, thinks like, okay, this is how many renters I have. This is how much it's going to generate me uh, per month. 
and then this is what this property should be valued at. That's a real owner. In the stock market, those morons, they will sell you anything if they think that, that it's going to go down 10% tomorrow, or if they think that the chart is showing them something, or if they think we're going to go into a recession, they're going to sell you something for 10 cents on a dollar because they're not real owners. They're just looking at the price movement. So if, 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 you know, if, if I can buy something from an idiot, I would always do choose that versus a smart person. Well, thank you for putting that so bluntly. And uh, it doesn't help that a lot of the so-called gurus, right, are talking about selling, selling, selling when the price is really low. That's actually the time to buy. So a lot of people end up buying high, selling low without really knowing it. Probably a similar episode happened towards the end of last year. A lot of stocks just really dropped. I heard these gurus, I won't name them, to say that, you know, it's time to sell, the recession is coming, blah, blah, blah. I'm glad I didn't sell. I actually bought some. And this year, a lot of them actually went up in value. I mean, right next door, I have a neighbor. They just listed a house for sale. Mm -hmm. uh, it sold in three days, three days, right? So like, if you take that, I should go to him and be like, why are you selling your house for, I think it's 250,000. Why don't you just give it up for free? We're going into recession, right? I mean, People are ridiculous. Just because you go into a recession doesn't mean businesses are worthless. Doesn't mean their assets are worthless, right? It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, think about think about uh, 15 months ago, how we went from 15 months ago to, to now. People were paying millions of dollars for pictures of monkeys. I know. Okay? Millions of dollars for pictures of monkeys. And they told me that you should buy the monkeys because it's a status symbol. Like, are you insane? And now, and now they don't want to pay anything for the monkeys, but they also don't want to pay anything for real businesses that have real solutions. They're so scared, especially of this. That's why the smaller companies got so destroyed because people are so scared of buying anything. So yeah, we went from, you know, buying worthless crypto, everything monkeys everywhere to now not wanting to buy anything, you know, and you know, like, and you're right, you know, the YouTubers, influencers are just like the recession is just a corner. And I'm like, you know what? God, print, bring this freaking recession on already because the fear of this recession has been, it, it, it's worse than the actual recession will be. It, it's, it's like, I feel like, I feel like we, we've priced in recession, depression, World War One, and World War Two all combined. And, and I haven't seen the recession yet, but I heard it's coming every day. I, I hear the news, I it's coming. And it's, this one is going to be the rest recession that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every time. Um, all right. I would love to buy stocks or anything, 10 cents on the dollar as well. My question to you is, how do you build your confidence to block out the noise, right? I think a lot of times I have a basis, but then if a lot of people started talking about some things, then I kind of get influenced. How do you kind of stay focused and well uh, the confidence the confidence is built by the work you put into it so if you do your own work understanding the situation understanding the company if you yourself pick up the phone and talk to the ceo and find out what's going on that's how you build confidence confidence is, is earned it cannot be borrowed from somebody else just because i tell you to buy something you, you're not going to have the confidence but if you put in the work you have a chance to to have that you know confidence but then also 
uh, as far as you know, uh, escaping the noise. I don't know. Go and f go and find yourself a hobby. G learn how to cook. Uh, separate yourself. What I've been doing the last uh, year, I started playing soccer every day. I haven't played for 25 years, and then I picked it up again because I'm like, I'm not going to sit in front of a computer and listen to a bunch of idiots tell me recession is coming. Like, I'm going to you know buy my things, do my work, have confidence, and, and then I'm just going to go and play because you know. I, I can't listen. I can't every day be negative and every day think about how the world is going to end. That's not healthy, you know. Yeah. But but 15 months ago they weren't talking about that. 15 months ago they were telling you to buy monkeys. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be the future of the world. Yeah. yeah. Do you only focus on microcap companies now then, or do you have other? Yes. No. Okay. Only. And you do this full time. Well, full time, that's all I do. But like full time, I mean, how much work is there? Sometimes there's work, sometimes there isn't. I mean, I buy companies where that are run by by CEOs, I'm not going to micromanage them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I go, sometimes I don't do anything for the whole week. Sometimes, you know, there's things to do. Uh, so I mean, that's the great thing about being an investor, like other people do the work for you. You know, you get to enjoy life. Yeah. Sounds nice. You're based in Indiana, right? Yeah, where yeah. Notre Dame University is. Uh, okay, okay. What would you recommend for people to read either for investing or as personal development? I would say read everything Warren Buffett has to offer. He, okay. He's a great foundation. Uh, but then don't invest in things that he does because again, he's doing it because he's so big. Mm -hmm. Just just learn learn the foundation from him uh, and also the the best thing you can do is learn how to do your own work and learn how to think independently that's the, that's the that's the best asset you can have is learn how to think independently um and i kind of get a you know laugh out of it because like you know value investors tend to think that they're independent thinkers but then but then every year, 40,000 of them go and go to Omaha to have dinner together, right? It's mm -hmm. like, okay, hold on a second. You go to a conference for independent thinkers, like independent thinkers fly alone. Like they don't go to conferences, you know? And I just always, I went once and I'm like, no, I'm never gonna go again. It's just ridiculous. I don't need to go, you know, to have, have grew a dinner together with people that say they're independent. And then they're copy each other's ideas, you know, investment ideas. It's crazy. That's great. So my last question for you is um, where can people find more about you? I think you mentioned you have a YouTube channel. Yeah. So you remember the name that you couldn't pronounce at the beginning? Yes. Yeah. So take that name and put it into YouTube and you'll find my YouTube channel. Okay, great. And then start from there, start following me there. And then maybe you want to become a part of micro cap explosions, but just if you're an idiot, you don't know about investing, don't become part of microcap explosions. Like I have enough headache with, you know, people that don't understand that are trolling me around now everywhere on Twitter, YouTube, because the stocks are down, you know, like mm -hmm. just, I don't know, just go and have a nice life. You know, like I, I'm not here to sell you a course. You know, if you think if you're an independent thinker, you want to do your work, you think this is an opportunity, then follow me on YouTube first. Maybe microcap explosions is for you, but if you, if you don't have the right mindset, then it's better if we don't do business together.
<laughs> for those who are not idiots and want to join microcap explosion is that just a matter of going on your website and yeah yeah okay okay sounds good all right thank you so much um i'm gonna mispronounce it again marius that was good that was good all right <laughs> thank you any parting words before we close out the interview oh it was fun thanks for doing this yeah yeah thank you Thank you.